Welcome back. You're listening to In Situ Science, where each episode you meet a different scientist, find out what it is they do and why they do it. I'm your host, James O'Hanlon, and this episode I'm joined by someone who probably doesn't need that much of an introduction. He is perhaps Australia's most prominent science communicator. He is, of course, Dr. Carl Krishlnitsky. Dr. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Uh, yes, but I feel bad because I'm not a real scientist. Well, I um, used to be, but not anymore. Now I just talk about it. Whereas guys like you are actually real scientists. I mean, you say that, and then you also like to celebrate the fact that people can be scientists in their everyday lives. Ah, citizen science, yes. Like when you have the washing come through the washing machine, there's not a lot of sunlight. Do you have the towels in landscape or portrait mode, up, down, or left, right? Big question. Still haven't got the answer to that one. Okay, is this an experiment you know people are doing or suggest people should do? Well, I agonise. Well, I'm I'm kind of the um, washing line obsessive king. So I I have a clothesline uh, which rotates and looks like the old hills hoists. Uh, The new ones don't look anything like the old ones. And then uh, I have the big things on the outside and then I have a small light layer of underpants inside out so the ultraviolet light kills the bacteria. Then I have a bigger layer, a smaller layer, a bigger layer, so I have them staggered. Oh, and I've, I go to the trouble here of proper uh, clothesline stacking, but I still haven't managed to solve the problem uh, because I need to have two... Ide- oh, that's it. So I just need two identical towels on the same day and see which one would dry first. And what I have to do would be to weigh them before and after to see, because that way I could tell measure the dry, uh, state of dryness. So I'd have mm-hmm. to measure them before and after, have one in landscape, one in portrait. But they've got to be identical towels of a similar age because they lose uh, fibre mass with time. Mm. Good experiment. Important question. Mm. Undies on the inside, is that simply a modesty thing? No, t- the mo- no the, uh, firstly, the undies don't need to be on the outside layer because anything on the outside layer gets 100% sunlight when it swings around. Mm-hmm. The things on the inside layer are, are blocked mm-hmm. from sunlight, and so you want something short. So that, um, and then the layer after that can be longer. So you want to alternate your tall, long, short, long, short layers, so the sunlight gets to kiss each uh, square millimeter of the clothing on the line. And the turning inside out is so the ultraviolet kills the bacteria. Okay, <laughs> all right. I'm going to remember that. Oh. No, I go home. No. Now that we're in this uh, this mode of, of delving into your mind and how this works, I mean, I first was exposed to you know, Dr. Carl's brand of Syncom back as a teenager listening to Triple J. Triple J? Do you is, still listen to Triple J or are you too old for it now? I, I, embarrassingly, I might be getting a bit too old. Oh, so you're I've listening to Metropolitan music. Radio. How long before you go into Radio National? Oh, a few mm. years to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite there yet. I'm, 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 on, I'm doing spots on Radio National. Excellent. Which is great fun. Yep. But I was going to pick your brains because, you know, when you first hear someone like yourself on the radio where mm. people are ringing in asking science questions and you answer them, my impression growing up was these must be pre-recorded. You must go away and research these things and give a good answer and response. But no, that's not the case. You're you're answering these things on the spot with your wealth of knowledge. And this blows my mind because listening to you do it, you're reciting numbers, you're referencing papers that people have published. You have this wonderful wealth of knowledge. Is this something that you, is is this just a natural gift 
Or do you work really, really hard to have this knowledge there on hand? The latter. Yes. Um, my IQ is not particularly high. I'm in there with uh, 66% of the population, with two-thirds of the population between 85 and 115. Mm-hmm. My IQ is only 110. I have met people who are smarter than me, uh, and you can tell the difference when you're trying to study something like the kidney. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, the kidney. <laughs> have you done physiology? No, I'm, I'm a behavior person. So. Ah, you didn't do any physiology. Physi- physiology is amazing because... I started off in the hard sciences and gradually drifted across and I long thought that the inside of the body merely had in it a sort of chunky red salsa which would leak out when somebody got into a barroom mm-hmm. fight or got shot in an action movie. <laughs> and instead, when I did physiology, I found that there were all these amazing, deeply sophisticated mechanisms that have taken us years, decades and sometimes century, centuries to tease out and even today, we do, still don't fully understand all of them. Mm. And so the kidney, there's still mysteries, but we've got a pretty good idea of how it basically works and the countercurrent circulation and the glomerular filtration rate. And studying the kidney with a fellow student who was... So when I started studying medicine, I was 32 and she was 18, but she came top, top in the state in medicine. Mm-hmm. She had a much higher IQ than mine. And so I suddenly became aware very brutally that I had to traverse my way through the landscape of renal or kidney physiology by going down into the valley and jump across a stream and then chop my way through the undergrowth and then crawl up a little cliff and fall down the other side, whereas she could leap from mountaintop to mountaintop and then just glance at everything on the way there Mm. and see it and understand it, mm. whereas I'd have to slowly and painfully work out, well, hang on, when the glomerular filtration rate goes up, why do you have a change in sodium-potassium change in the outer third of the loop of Henley? And I'd have to ask myself that question and go through and work it out, whereas she would say, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. You're right, okay. So to, with regard to answering the question, the first thing in my favor is that I'm not particularly smart. That's an advantage. Explain that one. (laughs) That is an advantage because I have to go through a slow, painful process to understand it. Mm -hmm. And so if I go through that, I can then do the shortcuts for the person who's listening to my explanation. Mm -hmm. So there's no point in jumping from mountaintop to mountaintop if you just have to memorize it for the average person or the smart person understands everything between each mountaintop. I have to work my way through. So the first part is not being particularly smart, and I have to understand it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't understand it, I just say so. Uh, the second part is that I was lucky enough to come from a time when the state, being the government of Australia, saw education as a worthwhile investment in the future of the country. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it was free. Ah. And therefore, I've got 28 years of education, starting off in baby jail, working my way through primary school, high school, university, and that's including 16 years of free university education. Thank you Mm. very much, Taxpayers of Australia. (laughs) The third part is that that's just merely given me a good background. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of understanding physics and maths and engineering and medicine and surgery and and, and, um, 
psychology and histology and statistics mm-hmm. and anatomy and physiology and all and epidemiology and all the other histologies that go in there. So that's given me the good background, but that's useless mm. without part three. Part three. So part one is not being smart, particularly smart. Part two is having the good education and being prepared to work hard. Part three is um, buying and reading $10,000 worth of scientific literature every four, every year. <laughs> but that's the easy part. Mm-hmm. Part four is turning it into stories. Right. Now, your brain is wired up to remember stories. Mm-hmm. This is part of our evolutionary history where we've drifted from being something like a chimpanzee splitting off from them seven million years ago, like the chimpanzees realizing that um, there's strength in numbers. And with humans, the bonding comes not just from picking fleas off each other's bodies or sneezing at the same time as other people or yawning at the same time as other people, but telling stories, Mm -hmm. having language. We're pretty sure that in our seven million year history since we split off from the chimpanzees, Homo heidelbergensis going from 600,000 years ago to 200,000 years ago had language. We're pretty sure for various reasons. Mm -hmm. We're very much highly sure, much more confident that Homo sapiens sapiens, you and me 200,000 years ago to the present had language. And part of that language is telling stories. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our brain is wired up to remember and to tell stories. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a diversion here. Your brain is wired up to remember pictures. So mm. a picture of somebody in your family, say your mother, might have three million bits of information. If I give you three million bits of information, light, dark, light, dark, a bit of red, light, dark, a bit a bit more red, and then give you those three million bits of information that make up the photograph of your mother, you can remember those three billion bits of information. But if I show you the photo, you say, that person is my mother. Mm-hmm. Okay, end of diversion. Back to stories. So in the same way, our brain is wired up to accept stories. Mm-hmm. So if I were to, as an example of this, try to back up the proof of what I just said, suppose I were to give you a thousand-word story where we start off with um, Kim and Kanye having a nude <laughs> mud bath. Oh, my God, here comes Beyonce. It turns out that they've actually converted to a church where they are both chaste and nude. They're going to spend the rest of their lives both nude and chaste. But then the vampires come along and they find they have to go back to their previous ways and get a shotgun and it ends up with a happy ending where they're having cocktails. Now, that's a fairly complicated story, but you could tell me that story using a thousand words. Yeah. But if I were to give you a thousand words in alphabetical order and say, remember them, you couldn't do it. No. But if they're in a story, you can. Mm-hmm. That's how I remember. Okay. Because of a quirk of human evolution that our brain remembers stories. A story being not a fact, but a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. All right. And this is a technique I've heard people talk about for doing memory tricks. They can memorize the order of a shuffle deck of cards if they make a story out of it. They normally follow the method of Simonides, Mm -hmm. who was a Greek playwright. And they sort of follow, for example, the path from their kitchen to the 
past the bedroom to the door, down onto the pavement, and then turn left or right to go to the shop. And they follow a path that they know really well. Mm-hmm. Like there's two steps, not three steps. And they tie that to something. And then there's four steps that they have to walk before they get to the metal gate. And they turn left. And each of those they tie to a t- specific part of the pack of cards or blow okay. me down the 50,000 places of pie. God, <laughs> no, I don't do that sort of stuff. I just go with the straight story and I keep on forgetting them as I make up new ones all the time. And so to refresh my memory, I'll have to go back and look at them because as new information comes in, old information gets pushed out. I really would like that we hurry up and get an implant of maybe 128 gig that I could hook yeah, it's, into it's my brain. It's a modest amount of memory. Yeah. Good. 128 gigs, shove that into my brain, and that way I'd have all of the Encyclopedia Britannica, all of Wikipedia, a um, whole bunch of math tables, and all of my books and a whole bunch of pictures as well, and then I'm set. <laughs> well, would you mind if I asked a few questions? Ask away, that's my job. Me. You know, these, these are less science questions, more lifestyle, just personal advice I'd like. Ah, okay, well, never have sex with anybody who has more problems than you do. The sex is great. <laughs> But you pay for it. Is that what you're asking? I've already dealt with that one. I've really? learned that. Have you, have you learned that? You would be amazed how many people go to their deathbeds not knowing that sex with a crazy person could be really good, but it'll destroy your life. Yeah, you learn it the hard way. Some definitely. people do, but some people never learn it. How do you learn it? Are you allowed to a, learn this? That's a long a pri- podcast. How, is, is how much a time have we story? got? Have you got the short version? Um, no, <laughs> let's not dive into my, your private my, my life. My friends and family are probably listening to this, mm. so let's let's leave that. Okay, we'll leave that one. We'll just say it happened theoretically. <laughs> All right, so my first question. Yep. Why does my hair go frizzy when it's hot and humid? And is there anything I can do about it? Um, I used to know the answer. Now I don't. Okay. I've learned more. Next question. <laughs> so uh, this came to me via um, somebody asking why... Some hair is straight mm-hmm. and why some hair is curly. Mm-hmm. And so I went down a certain pathway. Now, the trouble is here that, surprisingly, hair belongs to the dermatologists. Mm, okay. They're the experts in hair. Okay. Not the people at the Ponds Institute where incredibly beautiful young women and handsome young men walk about in slow motion tossing their long hair over their wonderfully tailored lab coats. <laughs> the Ponds Institute does, in fact, have the best laboratories for hair in the world. But apart from that, the dermatologists own hair as a hair appendage. And what I learned was that back then the knowledge was that the straight hair, if it was, the hair was tending to be straight, it would, in cross-section, tend to be a circle. Mm-hmm. And if it was incredibly frizzy, it would, in cross-section, tend to be an oval. All right. So an oval is in cross-section, long one way, short the other way. As it grows, it's weak in one direction, it falls over, goes into that oval. I mm-hmm. uh, thought we had the answer. And um, why is pubic hair curly? Well, I thought that was to get the maximum amount of hair in the shortest uh, volume or area of the body so as to spread the delicious gentle smells around to anybody with whom you are hoping to uh, be really good friends with in the near future. <laughs> uh, and that all worked until um, a sex worker from the cross rang up and said that um, in her experience, Asian men, especially Japanese, had straight pubic hair. <laughs> But never that was a, a fact story. I didn't know. There you go. <laughs> but, but the, 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 I was, and I was sticking that to that story until about four weeks ago. Oh. And then I read a story, uh, a paper, 
upon why hair is curly. And I started to read this paper and I thought, hang on, I'm out of my depth. And I started to read a little bit more. So the straight answer is, as of today, I don't know. But if I get to that story and put in the five hours, I might have an answer for you. All right, good. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm... So it's a long involved, I don't know. I'm destined to have to avoid the tropics. I think that's the really. That's so common. what happened? I, it just goes into this Afrotone, I think, and I, and I lose my luscious flowing locks. Glorious, luxuriant <laughs> flowing locks turn into this stiff Afro. <laughs> well, my next question might help mm, me with that. Lay, on, lay me on me. Yep. Why do some people look good in a baseball cap? You take that same baseball cap, put it on a different person, and then they look awful. You mean the baseball cap worn backwards? No, just different people. Some people look good in baseball caps, other people don't. With the peak forward? Yes. Okay. Um, firstly, uh, human beauty and attractiveness is truly complex. It varies from society yes. to society. But one thing that is universal is symmetry. Mm. In most, practically all societies go for symmetry. Mm-hmm. But you need a slight degree of asymmetry to get truly beautiful. So the Greeks, when they were making their columns, mm-hmm. um, and a column for a Greek temple cost as much as an FA-18 attack fighter. <laughs> they were truly expensive mm-hmm. and took years of labor to manufacture and were a sign of incredible wealth of a society. And so when they were making the little curvy bits at the bottom of their columns, they would follow a quite strict mathematical formula and at the very end, vary it Uh, and throw in a human touch. Yes. And then it looked even better. Mm. In the same way that the floor of their temple, even though it looks dead flat, is actually slightly raised in the middle. Okay. So you need that slight asymmetry. So getting back to the baseball cap, that was the first thing that in general, talking about attractiveness, mm-hmm. symmetry is important, but then a little bit of asymmetry, just a little bit at the right place and it's hard to work out um, is necessary. Number two, in the TV, cinema, photographic model business, mm-hmm. there is a phrase or a sentence, the camera loves him or her. Yeah. So you can have a whole lineup of people and they all look absolutely beautiful, devastatingly handsome. Mm-hmm. Photograph them and some pop and some look quite ordinary. Mm-hmm. We don't understand. So that leads me to the third uh, part, uh, why some people look uh, good in baseball caps and some don't, don't know. So that's the second answer for which my answer is I don't know. <laughs> Good. Well, like I said, these these aren't necessarily science questions. These are, these are personal things I'm battling with. So. Well, they, they are science in the sense that science is not a bunch of facts, like mm-hmm. how tall is Mount Everest or what's the atomic number of americium, but rather it's a process for trying to understand the universe. So perhaps there's and a future for phrenology to come back as the science of, of hat manufacturing, whoa, understanding skull morphology and have, having custom tailored caps. Who knows? Ah, <laughs> maybe I'm over. Don't know, it. don't know, don't know. Uh, all I can say is definitely I'm out of my depth. Okay. okay. What about uh, procrastination? That's something that's been I've been dealing with a lot lately. It seems so kind of productive. What makes it so overwhelming and addictive? Don't know. It took me quite a while to work out 
why some people are chronically late. That was about mm-hmm. four hours of reading. I haven't read a paper on cr- procrastination. Mm. So I'd have to read one, find out what the psychologists, the behavioral psychologists, mm-hmm. the um, who else would be involved with that? The time management people, although there's a lot of wankers in that sort of area, people who say stuff with no proof. But there is some wisdom in there. You've just got to be able to pick and choose. I don't know. So I'd have to read a peer-reviewed paper summarizing the field, which I was lucky to do. Mm-hmm with chronic lateness, but I haven't done the same for procrastination. But I'm with you on procrastination. Um, I tend to operate sometimes under the golden rule of if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would ever get done. (laughs) Good. Well, that's reassuring that we're on the same page. All right. I've lowered... Although oh. the longer, if you if you make something and create it, then walk away from it and then come back to it, you have a different mindset where you can then look at it and make it better. And that's, mm-hmm. what I, that's what the procrastinator misses out on. Ah, okay. Disadvantage there. Yeah. Well, I won't torture you much longer. I have one final question mm-hmm. in this first series of questions. This is more to settle a personal dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there's a slab a... of beer, I'm guessing. No, something. Okay. Yes. Well, I think just bragging rights, maybe. Okay. <laughs> so there's a popular saying about you know working hard and following your dreams and all that. Mm-hmm. We've discovered it can be worded two separate ways. Go on. And what's your thoughts on which is the more appropriate way? Okay. So, is it shoot for the stars, even if you don't make it, you might just land on the moon? Uh-huh. Or is it shoot for the moon, if you miss, you'll end up amongst the stars? What's a more both, appro- both are true. They f- they're fine? <laughs> yeah, they're both good because it's the world is unfair. Mm-hmm. And this unfairness increases the longer the period of peace. Go on. (laughs) Well, so firstly, read the book, The Better Angels of Our Nature Mm -hmm. by Steven Pinker, where he points out that we are living in the most peaceful time ever in the history of the human race Mm -hmm. with a few bumpies, but yeah, it's the most peaceful time. Then read the book, The Great Leveler by Schindler. Mm -hmm. And then you find that the longer the period of peace, the greater the inequality in wealth Mm -hmm. in the population. So... It's normally reset, by the way, just a little diversion before we get back to the main point. <laughs> sure. It's normally reset by war or plague or disease or revolution or the collapse of the state. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to reset it, but it's not. those methods are not good. So part of our moving to a higher degree of awareness and civilization which implies both paying taxes and caring more for our fellow human, is that we work out another way where we reset the balance without having to go through ways that end up killing people. Mm -hmm. So shooting for the stars, that is complicated by where you are from. If you are a healthy, young, tall, white male going to a private school and you will find things really easy. <laughs> if you are a shorter, that puts you off at a disadvantage straight away, female with the wrong skin colour and wrong religion in a very poor country and you don't get an education, no matter what you do, you're kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. If, for example, you move to a wealthy country like Australia from a poor country and you work as a taxi driver, you're 
in the tail end of an industry that's going to collapse and you want to start training for a new career because you're going to get killed by both Uber <laughs> and artificial intelligence. Mm. China is moving much faster on artificial intelligence than the Western countries. Mm-hmm. Um, in China, they're just going hell for leather. In America, the truckers are busy lobbying Trump. This is, uh, recording is made in early 1918. They're lobbying President Trump to try and stop artificial research into autonomous vehicles on trucks. <laughs> and you're thinking, how could they possibly stop this? Well, the National Rifle Association in America successfully stopped the um, Centre for Disease Control from doing any research into gun deaths Mm -hmm. and successfully stopped a nationwide collation of gun deaths. Mm -hmm. You cannot get... It does not exist. You have to go to each individual locality to find out how people died and because there's no universal standard, they die by a gun death. Was it a suicide or shot by somebody? Sorry, we didn't record that. Because there's no universal way of gathering the data, we have been left deliberately by the actions of the NRA in a vortex where we cannot even deal with this epidemic where tens and tens and tens of thousands of Americans are shot dead by their fellow citizens. Mm -hmm. So getting back to (laughs) Shoot for the Stars and and uh, and the Moon, it depends on your background. If you're one sort of person, wealthy white male from a private school, you've got a different possible pathway mm-hmm. from what if you're a migrant coming to Australia and you don't speak the English language. It all depends on the individual circumstances. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you've definitely got to aim and it, it gets hard. Like For me, doing starting to study medicine when I was 32 was really easy. Mm-hmm. Because I was a single bloke, <laughs> but imagine if I had a family. So it was mm-hmm. very easy. I just used my pitiful savings and lived in a squat mm-hmm. after booting out the junkies and the bikies, and managed to live on very little income, getting my um, fruit and vegetables by going every Monday morning to the uh, fruit and veg shop, knowing from my time as a taxi driver that they would throw out the stuff, go there with a wheelbarrow, pick up a few cases of fruit (laughs) and veg. 90% I'd throw in the compost pile, 10% I would eat. I ate really well and get my protein from bags of soybeans and other beans that I'd buy in 20 kilo bags. Mm -hmm. And so... I was able to go five years full time on very low income, Mm. which is quite different from if you're a family man or woman as a sole breadwinner trying to survive, keep a family running with three children. Mm -hmm. Can you just simply walk away from your spouse and children and say, I count how many of you there are. I'm now going to do exactly what I want until I get so exhausted I have to go to sleep. And then tomorrow I'll just get up and do exactly what I want and go and study. And I will not pay any attention to you because every minute of my life will be spent studying, trying to bring in this huge, Mm. load my brain with this huge body of knowledge. There are different bits of advice at different stages of life and different circumstances for different people. There's no universal knowledge Mm -hmm. apart from in public buildings, the toilets are usually near the elevators. That's fairly (laughs) universal and doesn't cut across cultural norms. All right. Well, on the topic of, uh, I guess, following your your dreams, I guess, and what you want to do, lots of people are looking up to you as a science communicator. You know, we're in a 
almost like a bit of a golden age of science communication. There's so much of it being produced, be it radio, podcasts, videos, events, whatever. There are even degrees being offered now in science communication. This is a proper career path for people. Mm-hmm. But people starting off in it, I think, are finding out it's it's a real hustle. You know, nobody's going to give you a nine-to-five desk job and say, go, be a science communicator. But you're you're Dr. Carl, you know. Surely you've got it in the bag. You can you can sit back and relax. Or what's it like being Dr. Carl? Is it still a hustle? Are you still out selling your trade and selling books and all that sort of well, stuff? Well, financially, in the early days, it was really hard, mm-hmm. and um, it took decades before I even began to earn money. And even today, I still have to do other stuff like mm-hmm. uh, write books and do corporate speaking mm-hmm. to finance the situation where I can go and talk to schools for nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard hustle mm-hmm. um, and it takes time and you won't get there overnight. You just have to work at it and love it. And so you're up to how many books is it now? i uh, finished 43, heading on to 44 right now. It's in the works already. Yep, number 44 is being written in a different way from the previous ones. And I'm now working on 44 and 45 together. Oh. <laughs> All right, so there's no sneak previews or anything? We're just going to sit uh, and wait? Working on various titles. Um, I was thinking of um, the words of that great philosopher, Frank Zappa, <laughs> yes. which is that you can't have too much sex or vegetables, mm-hmm. which is surprisingly true. <laughs> he also okay. said my favourite um, vegetable is tobacco. Surely <laughs> uh, really you can have too much of that. Yeah, you can definitely have too much yeah. of that. But I thought having sex in the title might scare off the kids and the parents who buy the book for the kids. <laughs> yeah, probably. So <laughs> I'm now working on a different title, which will change all, uh, a moment. Cheap Thrills, C-H-E-E-P. You know that album, Cheap Thrills, mm-hmm. by Big Brother and the Holding Company, starring Janis Joplin. Uh, Cheap Thrills, colon, Birds, Love and Vegetables. So it's a working title. Working title. It'll probably change many times before okay. I get there. <laughs> but what is a, an average day in the life of Dr. Carl? You do so many different things. Ah, well, okay, you that's get easy. up, you eat your Fruit Loops. Yeah. Uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays are the treadmill. Mm-hmm. So I have no control. Uh, Wednesday morning is radio all morning mm-hmm. and two science Q&A Skypes with schools around Australia mm-hmm. or the world. Um, there's about 5,000 schools in Australia. If I do 100 a year, I'll get through, after only a century, 1% of all the schools, which is not bad. <laughs> sure. Um, and if there's 100 of us, we'll get through all the schools in Australia in one calendar year. Uh, then Thursdays is just a big radio day. Mm-hmm. Um, Monday, Tuesdays and Fridays are potential thinking days and writing days. Okay. Getting up in the morning, start with a little bit of exercise and usually a fruit salad. Okay. So, so um, fruit loops, right? No, that's <laughs> no. not fruit. So <laughs> I, I, I am a lover of mangoes, <laughs> so I chop up various different types of fruit. So I'm following in terms of diet mm-hmm. the advice of Michael Pollan mm-hmm. in his book In Defense of Food. Michael Pollan in Defense of Food. And to summarise it in seven words, it reads, or well, you can read it, uh, 
my appraisal of that book in my 31st book, um, Brain Food, okay. fine book. Um, but I'll give it to you in seven words for free, yep. which is eat food, mostly plants, not too much. By food, you mean stuff that your parents and grandparents mm-hmm. would recognize, not stuff that's been super processed by adding a whole bunch of chemicals that you can't pronounce, including salt mm-hmm. and fats. Bit of salt, a bit of fat doesn't hurt. Can be good for you. Can be essential. Too much is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, eat food, mostly plants, so you can yep. go totally vegetarian. Having a wide variety of vegetables and greenery is just terrific. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of weird little phytochemicals that you should try a bit of this and a bit of that. And there's no such thing as a superfood. Are you old enough to remember goji berries? Oh yes. You remember how goji berries would cure sunstroke, syphilis, varicose veins, make your handwriting better and make your hair more luxuriantly flowing and all yes. that. Yes. Right. Where are they now? Nowhere. Oh, that was some sort of pyramid scheme, wasn't it? I feel well, <laughs> on the other hand, they do have some good chemicals in them. Mm. And so I actually bought some goji berries and I sprinkle a bit of goji berries in so I get the local fruit of the season. Mm-hmm. Although I do get sad when we run out of mango. And then I throw in a bit of cinnamon because it tastes nice. Then all sorts of nuts, like just tiny amounts of pepitas, pumpkin seeds, um, walnuts, uh, because they've got a bit of omega-3. But don't fall for that omega-3 crap. But they've got a bit, so just chuck them in. And um, uh, what do you call them? The Brazil nuts, because they've got a little bit of radium in them. Mm. Um, And um, walnut, any any sort of nut I can find. Mm -hmm. And then a bit of goji berry. And then a bit of yogurt. But it has to be the genuine Greek yogurt, not the Greek style yogurt because Greek style yogurt has stabilizers in it which interfere with your gut bacteria and that's my standard breakfast Mm -hmm. and so sometimes I've carried it in here to the ABC and people say wow you're eating healthy food today and I'm thinking no I'm not I'm eating delicious food um, (laughs) which happens to be healthy yes right Mm. so that's how the morning starts okay a bit of exercise which varies um what's what's your exercise of choice well there's a three-part program Mm -hmm. so um part one is the stretches then part two is the specific repairing of injuries because i smashed my shoulder the ball of my shoulder into 40 separate parts. <laughs> what did you do? Surfing accident. <laughs> oh, don't let wow. a nine, Don't let your nine foot six male smash into your shoulder joint okay. with a big fat wave because it'll just smash it into 40 different parts held by together by blood clot. Mm-hmm. So there's a slight remedial program and then there's a standard upper body, lower body getting sweaty on top of that. Um, and following the advice of Arnold Schwarzenegger who did not get his big muscles by line on the lounge but actually by going out there and working at them so you've got to have muscle Um, and the trouble is that as you get older anything past about 25 you begin to run out of muscle and part of the problem is that your central nervous system then stops talking to your peripheral nervous system and the muscle nerves die Mm. The nerves don't talk to the muscles and the muscles waste away. So then you've got to do different things to try and trick them back into activity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then there's, so there's the um, exercise thing. And by the way, if you do your exercise on an empty tummy, mm-hmm. that's better for weight control than on a full tummy. Okay. You didn't read my 40th book. I'm, I'm up to number three. Uh, uh, number three. Ah, that was great moments in science. No, no, that was I'm probably not uh, science these bizarre. In order. So the story is that they got a whole bunch of people to overeat by thirty percent. Mm-hmm. 
So they worked out what these people needed to maintain a steady body weight and gave them 30% more calories or kilojoules, 50% of it in fat. Mm -hmm. And then three conditions. One, do no exercise. They just put on several kilograms of weight and their blood chemistries went really bad. After only a month. It doesn't take long to stuff Mm -hmm. your body up. Um, Group two did exercise after breakfast. Okay. They put on half as much weight and their blood chemistries didn't go quite as crazy. Mm -hmm. Group three did all the exercise on an empty tummy. Mm -hmm. Hardly gained any weight and their blood chemistry stayed basically normal. I mean, we've been told since kids that the healthy way to start your day is by a hearty breakfast before you do anything else. By we, you mean Westerners... Who speak English. Yes. <laughs> Have you done El Camino across Spain, where you walk across Spain? No. no. Ah. I'll, I'll stick it on my list. Yeah, it's a good walk. 790 kilometers takes you about five weeks. Okay. And then you get used to the Spanish way of breakfast. Mm-hmm. Which is? Carbohydrates and drugs. <laughs> Mate, forget right. the exercise. White forget a hearty... cocaine. <laughs> no, no, they, they get their coffee <laughs> with, with or without a little bit of alcohol. Yeah, and some bread. Okay, and they may or may not dip the bread in the coffee, <laughs> and that is their breakfast. All right, and their life expectancy is longer than in Australia, even mm-hmm. though they smoke cigarettes as though they're going out of style. <laughs> so there's something about the, the Spanish lifestyle. That gives them advantages. Maybe it's their Mediterranean diet and, in fact, their Mediterranean. Maybe it's the siesta. While I was over there, I discovered that the siesta is not about an afternoon sleep. What's it about? Having sex and then having an <laughs> afternoon sleep. Okay. So in the afternoon, you knock off at one o'clock. Yeah. And then you go off and have sex and then you have a sleep and then you wake up and then get back to normal life again. All right. I'm learning a lot today. <laughs> well, um, walk across the Spain. El Camino is, is, is a... Great thing to do. Try and organize the timing for May, June. Mm -hmm. So you get there just as spring is beginning. Not too many people, not too cold. And there's this glorious thing. You start at one side of Spain and the olive trees, just these naked branches and the vineyards are just these naked branches. (laughs) And by the time you get to the other end, you've walked through all these fields with different smells and the Mm. olives and the grapes are blooming. It's a wonderful timing. It's very cheap too. You can stay in a refugio, uh, so named because it gives you refuge Mm -hmm. from the wolves and the thieves and the lions um, (laughs) for anything between zero and 10 euros a night. Then after two weeks, you get sick of living in um, eighth century hygiene and then you move into a hotel. (laughs) So what's next for Dr. Carl? You've published books, you've got radio spots, you've done all these things, you've raised children. Is there one big project that you would like to do? Well, let me follow the words of um, Stephen Pulse. Don't die, don't die, don't die. He's always a good one. Uh, Nothing much. Write another book. Um, Go to Mongolia, Mm -hmm. Tibet. um, And have good times and try to make the world a better place, which is a really boring cliche. Should I throw in another one? Yeah. In fact, I'll throw in as many cliches as I can in this la- in this next sentence. Um, <laughs> I'd like to have lots of jobs and growth via innovation and my thoughts and prayers go out to everybody. 
That sounds very political. Pretty good, you. isn't it? Do you like this... the thoughts and prayers bit? Like they say that on TV all the time. Yeah. Mate, I just got this mental image of a factory churning out boxes of thoughts and prayers, which they send to the TV stations, which then send them out to the people having a disaster somewhere. Uh, these cliches sound like you're about to step back into politics. What's going? Step back into politics? <laughs> well, you uh, dabbled very briefly. Um, I failed, but I did get the in the federal Senate the highest number of votes under the line ever recorded, 42,000 out of the 780,000. I needed to get into the federal Senate for New South Wales. Mm-hmm. This time around, I'd need five million. So I'm telling everybody, you did right, go into politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, ex-president of the United States, got it right um, with his slightly rude fly- phrase, a slight language warning coming up. You're better off on the inside of the tent pissing out than on the outside of the tent pissing in. <laughs> or in another way, you're better off being on TV as a politician rather than shouting at the TV mm-hmm. as something stupid a politician has done. Okay. We have right now in Australia politicians who got into parliament on 19 votes. How's Not 19,000. <laughs> 19. <laughs> one, nine. Mate. In some parts of the world, power grows out of the barrel of a gun. Thank you, Chairman Mao. <laughs> in Australia, it grows out of the Parliament. My advice to everybody is stop yelling at the TV and get into Parliament. I mean, I feel like you know, politics is, at some nature, a popularity contest for, for people with egos, and so it tends to attract just a whole lot of narcissists. Is the only way we're going to change politics and policy by just replacing the people in it? Yes, if that person is you. Me, personally. <laughs> I'm talking to you, baby. I'm in the studio. I'm staring at you over the Shore SM7. You're the baby I'm talking at. Yeah, go into politics. Or support somebody mm-hmm. to go into politics. All you can do is be an influencer. Now, Peter Garrett mm-hmm. was an influencer. He went mm-hmm. into politics for a while. Various things happened. And then he's back to being an influencer. But for a short time, he had a small degree of power. Mm-hmm. I want to go into the Senate, yeah, where it's hung, mm. where they need you. Okay, go into the Senate. Although I'd say to anybody, it doesn't matter. Just go and join any political party. It doesn't really matter. ALP, ALP, another Liberal Party. They it was the ALP. Remember, who brought back university fees, <laughs> increased personal taxes. Mm-hmm. And reduce company taxes. So basically, they're all the same. They're all. It used to be when I was a kid that the political parties were branches of the property party, mm-hmm. which looked after the interests of people with property. And so, if you had property, you were okay. So there was a property party with its various branches: the Labor, the Liberal, the Democratic Labor Party, the Country Party, etc., etc., etc. And then there was the non-property party, which back then was the Communist Party. It had a thousand members, two thirds of whom were police spies. It did nothing. Mm-hmm. Now today, the parties have morphed into the big business party, which has various branches, such as the Liberal and the Labour and the National, etc., 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 and the non-property party, which isn't really very big at all. Or oh, sorry, mm-hmm. the non-big business party. Mm-hmm. So in America, we have the example where Scott Pruitt, the current head of the American Environmental Protection Agency Mm -hmm. was brought in after years of suing the American 
Environmental Protection Agency, and he is now the head of it. And he has replaced all... There used to be some scientists on the advisory board. Mm -hmm. Well, the trouble with the scientists is they could have conflicts of interest if you're dealing with scientists and big industry. Mm -hmm. So he got rid of all the scientists because there could be conflicts of interest Mm -hmm. and replaced them with the CEOs of big industry. Because they can't possibly have conflicts of interest. You might (laughs) possibly say so, but I couldn't possibly comment upon that. (laughs) So we need to change it. Mm Mm-hmm. Politics begins with the letter P, as it does power. Mm-hmm. So my advice for people is get into politics or support somebody to make the world a better place. We're heading for a very expensive mess with global warming. Mm-hmm. The longer we wait, the more expensive it gets. The technology is already available to generate electricity without burning carbon. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, 15 years, we can get into transport which is about 15% of carbon dioxide without burning carbon. Aeroplanes, that's easy. You just get a huge thing, the Airbus 380, Mm -hmm. and you fill one half of it with hydrogen. Easy. Hydrogen can go bang, so can kerosene. (laughs) No big difference. (laughs) But the trouble with hydrogen is that while it's got a very high energy density per mass, Mm It's got a very low energy density per volume. You need a shirt load of it. So you just keep the Airbus 380 going, just fill half of it with hydrogen, no big deal. And so to get to decarbonize agriculture, that'll take another 20, 30 years because agriculture is alive and Mm. it'll fight you. Yeah. And we'll need more knowledge. Mm. But we can do it. And so then we and already there are machine machines that can pull a year's worth of carbon dioxide production out of the atmosphere but we need 25 million of these machines. Mm -hmm. Well, we make 100 million cars every year, so that's not impossible. (laughs) We just need to go on to a footing where the politicians saying, this is serious, let's do something about it now because it's just going to get so expensive. As an example of who's going to bear the cost, think of slavery. Mm. Slavery was outlawed in the United Kingdom and in the USA. I'll ask you now a rhetorical question or a question without notice rather. Sure. When slavery was outlawed, comma, who got compensation? Question mark. Was it the slaves? Comma, or was it the slave owners? Question mark. Have a guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when you see the fossil fuel companies saying, um, brackets, we've been making obscene profits for a long time and not paying any taxes, end of brackets, you recently had an international fossil fuel company, one of the biggest companies in the whole world, saying, well, we haven't paid any tax on our revenues, which are between 5 and $10 billion a year for the last decade or so, and we're not going to until 2022. But after that, we might think about it, <laughs> right? Okay. And they're going to push public opinion in such a way that they can, via the newspapers that certain parts of the planet have, so that they end up getting compensation. No, they get nothing. (laughs) And the only way they'll get nothing is if you, James, become a politician. I'm turning this around, man. The pressure. Or or support somebody. Or support somebody (laughs) who has the personality. Mm -hmm. And you need $5 million. All right. I'll get the money first. You got it. Well, and then see how we go. <laughs> no, you, there's, there's even grounds for people joining any political party because mm-hmm. they don't. They're all just branches of the big business party. 
mm-hmm. join any political party and just learn the ropes mm-hmm. and then go off as an independent in the Senate. All right. Right. Well, we will catch up for to another podcast a, a little place. while and see how my political career's <laughs> gone between now and Well, your and support then. of somebody. Yes, most definitely. But we should wrap things up because we're, our time's almost up and we've, you've got other things to do. You've got books to write. You've got radio shows to write. You've got all sorts of stuff happening. No, I've got a... We're planning my next trip to Antarctica. All right. Well, that's just as important. I well, think. I like going to Antarctica. <laughs> well, if people want to check out your latest book... Uh, go to drcarl.com mm-hmm. and it's got everything there. And you're most welcome to buy my books because that funds me going to the schools for free. But if mm-hmm. you don't I want to go to the Great Moments in Science section, you can download all my stories in a shorter version mm-hmm. for free. Right. They're in the books. They're, in books, they're, they're, they're longer. So some of the stories have expanded from 700 words up to 4,000. And some haven't. But you can get it for free on my homepage. And if you want to do have me for a school on a Wednesday afternoon, look up drkarl.com, D-R-K-A-R-L.com. Look up a bit about teachers when I have a free science Q&A Skype with your school and we'll do it for free. All right, Dr. Carl, thank you so much for your time. That's my duty, thank you. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening. You can check us out at insituscience.com or at insituscience on social media. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network, aeon.net.au. Thank you.